good morning. How are you today? Good. How great was it to wake up to rain this morning? You know what is so exciting? I know some of you are like, huh? No, it's awesome. Because as a pastor, when it's raining on Sunday morning, I'm always excited to see who God's going to give bonus points to for coming when it's raining on Sunday morning. So give yourselves a round of applause for some bonus points this morning. Well done. Well, well done. You know, also I'm excited this morning because I am still kind of flying on the fumes of the Spur Leadership Conference that we hosted this past Friday. It was an amazing, amazing day. And uh, it, was, it was really, really special to see. I want you to know, if you weren't here, first of all, for those of you who did come and brought your coworkers and friends to be a part of this, thank you for doing that. Number two, if you weren't here, you need to know that our slate of speakers did us proud as a church family. What they brought to our guests on Friday and what they poured into them and the real-world leadership handles that were given did us proud as a church family. It was an amazing day. I also want to let you know about something we did on Thursday night. This was kind of cool. It was kind of different. Thursday night, I asked Buzz Williams, the men's basketball coach at Virginia Tech, to do a roundtable with a group of pastors who had come to the conference, some with their staff and, and members of their church. We had pastors from New Jersey, Florida. Did you realize there are even churches in Oklahoma? I had no idea. And there was a pastor here from Oklahoma, which is good because if anybody needs Jesus, it's Oklahoma. So we really wanted to serve them as best we could. What? I'm now don't listen. Do not send me an email, okay? Because everybody needs Jesus. I, that way, I'm just, but some need him more. But anyway, Buzz did an incredible thing with these with this group of pastors. He shared with us like what his work week and schedule looks like as he tries to be a man of faith while also competing at a very high level in the ACC. Showed us his weekly and daily schedule. And, and I'm telling you, for just to be in the room with him for a couple of hours, he is a human nerve. He's just, zzz, I mean, he's, a he's just got power and he's an incredible incredible guy just did an, an awesome job for us so I just wanted to let you know about that and also let you know as grateful as I am to Buzz and, and to all the speakers who, who brought their gifts and their talents to us I'm more grateful to you because the Spur Leadership Conference and the Spur Leadership Ministry does not happen without you being Lake Hills Church, without you choosing to be who you are and to do what you do, what we get to do as a church. And so I just wanted to tell you thank you and tell you again this morning, give yourself a round of applause because you did an amazing job. As a matter of fact, let me, let me share something with you real quick. Uh, before I share this, let me just tell you this. We did something on Friday that I want to open up to the church family. Next year's conference is already set for Friday, April the 28th, and our keynote speaker is going to be lone survivor Marcus Luttrell. We are so excited to be able to present this and offer this. It's next April the 28th, 2017, and for 24 hours from right now, there's a special rate for those who attended the conference, but also for the Lake Hills Church family of $99 for next year's conference. It is a great when I tell you a great opportunity to reach out to the people around you who won't show up with you at church on Sunday morning, this is something that they will get behind and be a part of if they know about it, if we'll invite them. So with a special introductory one-time rate for the next 24 hours of $99, you can be a part of that and bring your friends with you. And while you're 
thinking about that, just go to spurleadership.com after the worship service today. you got 24 hours. Don't worry. It'll still be there. But I also wanted to share with you a uh, text that I got from a friend of mine who's a pastor. Again, on the front lines, this is a guy who's a pastor. I didn't even know they had churches in College Station, Texas, but they do. And uh, listen, don't feel bad for the Aggies. They got a lot of love at the conference on Friday. There was, there was more whooping going on than should ever happen in a house of worship. But that's, that's a whole other deal. But this came from Will Lewis, who pastors the Brazos Valley Fellowship there in College Station. And I want you to hear what you get to be a part of and what you help make possible. He said, Mac, I just wanted to pass this text along that I got from one of the biggest real estate and construction guys in our city. Quote, hey, brother, thanks again for inviting us to the conference. It was a really great conference, and I honestly thought it was better than the big fortune leadership conference that was $2,000 a person. We may be reevaluating our pricing model, but anyway. <laughs> he said, I've already bought a block of 10 tickets for next year. Now, here's why this is so cool. Not only what God poured into the life of that leader there in College Station through Will and his influence, but I want you to think about the credibility that Will Lewis now has in the life of that construction real estate guy there in College Station because he shared that with him, and you helped to make that possible. So thank you, thank you, thank you for being that kind of a church. And I shared that text with you not only because of what happened on Friday, but because it is also a perfect, I think, statement. I'm going to make sure that my phone's off and I don't interrupt the preacher this morning. Okay, all right, we're good. We're all good. Um, but it, that text is a perfect representation of who God's called us to be as Lake Hills Church, but also a perfect intro and setup for the final installment in this series that we've been in called There's Gotta Be More. Because this morning I want to talk to you about the the idea or the, the nagging suspicion that there's got to be more to church. Have you ever, have you ever kind of felt that way? There's got to be more to church. I'm not talking about when you were new in your faith or when you were just kicking the tires. I'm talking about, for those of us maybe who have been around a while, the kind of the wily, grizzled veterans of the faith. Have you ever kind of waked up on a Sunday morning, like maybe today, and just thought, man, there's got to be more to church than just... I, and it's raining. Let's be honest. You don't have to do this. But if you woke up this morning and saw the rain, maybe heard it pounding down on your rooftop, if you feel like it, just raise your hand if you thought to yourself, man, brunch sounds awesome today. Let me just see just who's going to be honest in church. If you'll notice, my hand is up. I thought about skipping church today. I did. I did. But I thought you might notice, so I decided to come. But I think there's something in all of us if we practice our faith for any length of time at all. There, there's, we always, we all kind of get to a place where we think there's got to be more to church. And the fact is, this is true if we've been in the faith for a long time or if we've never even darkened the doors of a church. Most of the people that you and I traffic with throughout the week, you know, Austin is one of the most unchurched cities in the country. Roughly 85% of Austin Greater Austin does not have a church home or a meaningful relationship with God. And so a lot of the people we work with, when they think of church, man, they don't think about life. They don't think about fired up. They don't think about power. They, they, a lot of times they'll think boring. They'll think, man, it's, it's kind of irrelevant. They'll also think people at church are judgmental. They're kind of elitist. And 
it's incumbent upon you and me to disabuse them of that kind of perception and concept and to really, if we can't get them to church, at least in our lives, show them there's really more to being the church. Russell Moore is a Christian PhD theologian and an ethicist, and he has what I think is a fascinating take on what the church ought to look like in 21st century America. This is what he writes in his book, Onward, Engaging the Culture Without Losing the Gospel. Russell Moore writes this. He says, our call is to an engaged alienation, a Christianity that preserves the distinctiveness of our gospel while not retreating from our calling as neighbors, as friends, and citizens. I think Russell Moore has captured it perfectly. And, and the reason that he captures it perfectly is not just because of 21st century America, but it's because of what Jesus said the church was supposed to be like. It's, it's interesting that Jesus reminded his disciples, his followers, of whom you and I are direct spiritual descendants, he reminded them over and over and over again that how we per, are perceived by those outside the walls of faith, by those who are maybe at least right now, not yet followers of Christ, how we are perceived is critically important to our mission. That, that what people think about us really, really matters. And I think the longer we are in the family of faith, the longer we follow Christ, the easier it is to, to forget that and, and to lose sight of that. And we've got to remember that in the book of John, Jesus told his disciples, he said, people are going to know you follow me by the way you love each other, by, by the way you treat each other. When things are good, when things are bad, when you agree, when you disagree, whatever you do, love each other. But there's also another moment in the book of Matthew that reinforces this idea. And that's where we're going to wrap up this series today. Because the fact of the matter is how we're perceived by the outside world, by those not yet following Christ, is one of the most accurate hallmarks, one of the most accurate gauges of the depth and the maturity of our faith. As a matter of fact, that's why next weekend we're starting a series specifically studying faith. The name of the series is called Tough as Nails, Choosing Grit over quit. I like that, don't you? Tough as nails that, because a lot of people think that the Christian faith is sweet, that it's kind, that it's, that it's great, and all those things are supposed to be true, but make no mistake about it. The Christian faith that follows Jesus is also called to be tough as nails. To be gritty instead of quitty is kind of how I like to put that. So, I want to encourage you to make it a priority to be here over the next few weeks and bring somebody with you. This isn't about just us and the holy huddle, the frozen chosen. We're, we're called to, to share this with as many people as we possibly can. That's our gift. That's our opportunity. So if you're sitting on the end of your row, I want you to look underneath your seat. There are some invitation cards that we do every time we start a series, and that's just kind of part of our muscle memory because... Our calling as a church has always been to grow the community of Christ one life at a time. So you know people I know, that I don't know. I know people you don't know. And our job 
is to grow the community of Christ. So as you're passing those, take those, take two or three or four of them, pass them down the row, and as you do, just, hand, just turn to the person next to you and tell them, do your job. Just do your job. And remember that how people perceive you outside the walls of this family of faith is a critical indicator of your spiritual growth and development, of your willingness to follow Christ as he's called us to follow him. Now, as I alluded to just a second ago in Matthew, there's this fascinating exchange that Jesus has one day with really his closest followers. He had a, a large contingent that followed him as he traveled and preached and taught and healed. But we know, of course, that there was that inner circle of 12. And even within the inner circle of 12, there were three, Peter, James, and John, who were really, really the ones that Jesus connected with and poured into and he was having a conversation with that larger group of 12 one day. And he asked them very casually, kind of off the cuff even, probably over a chicken fried steak. He said, who do people say that I am? When I'm not around and we're just kind of doing our thing, what do you hear? What do people say about what you've given your life to? Who do people say that I am? And the disciples, the apostles began to answer very casually over the chicken fried steak with Jesus. They said, you're, you're not going to believe this. There are people who say you're John the Baptist back from the dead. <laughs> As if. And there are others who say you're Isaiah, Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. Would you pass the gravy, please, Jesus? And then they continued the conversation, and the conversation went from the casual to the profound with one question. Look at what Jesus asked him in Matthew chapter 16, verse 15. But then he asked them, but who do you say I am? Who, who do you say I am? Now, we, we look at this verse in the Bible with the benefit of 2,000 years of hindsight, and some of us maybe know where the story is going next, but I want you to put yourself in the sandals of the apostles for just a brief second. Here, here you've left your home and hearth, your family and kin, and everything that you knew to follow Jesus. You, you've lived with him. You've traveled with him. You've served and worked and ministered with him. And after a year or maybe 18 months of this, over a meal, he says, who do you think I am? Who, who do you say? Now, I think that would be kind of disconcerting, don't you? I think there would be part of like, man, is he having like an identity crisis? What, what's going on? But that is the most profound, probing, penetrating question that any of us will ever ponder and answer. Who do you say Jesus is? I'm not asking you... What denomination? I, I'm not, I don't even care, did you go to church growing up? I, I don't even care, are you coming to church next week? Who do you say Jesus is? Who, who is he to you? Is he one choice among many, a kind of an a la carte option on the menu of worldview and philosophy? Or who do you say Jesus is? 
Who do you say he is? I have to confess to you before we continue that I, I have a favorite amongst all of Jesus' closest followers. And we're about to find him. It's, it's the one that you and I know as Peter. Peter, the one who walked on water. Peter, the one who, who defended Jesus when he was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. Peter, the one who betrayed Jesus at his trial and said, I didn't meet him. I don't know him. And used his old fisherman's vocabulary and profanity while he denied Jesus. But here in, in the book of Matthew, Peter, when Jesus says, who do you say that I am to the group? It's Peter who raises his hand first. Peter, Peter's the one who goes, I got this, I got it. Don't even worry about the rest of them. Let me tell you. Look at what he says. Verse 16, Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah. That's the promised one. You're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Peter was always the one, right, wrong, or undecided. He was the first one. He, he was the one launching out there. And I, I can kind of relate to that. I, I think I shared this with you at Easter. You know, how, how many of us are ready, fire, aim kind of people? You know what I mean? It's like, oh. Peter was not the one who's like, I don't want to, you know, like the rest of the disciples probably were looking down at their homework so Jesus didn't call on them. But Peter was the one running up to the blackboard to write the answer down. And Jesus said, you're blessed. And it's interesting because he's not yet Peter. Did you notice that? Jesus called him Simon. He said, Simon, you're, you're the son of John. You're, you're the one that, that people knew as the fisherman whose dad was named John. And your name was Simon. And you are blessed because you have believed this. You have owned this personally that's been revealed to you by my Father in heaven. You, you didn't get here on your own. You didn't get here because you're great or because you're smart or because you're a great communicator or because you're particularly wise. You own this because my Father revealed it to you. And when you receive something that comes from God that the rest of the world doesn't totally understand, you're blessed. You're blessed. Now look at what Jesus says. Verse 18, Matthew chapter 16. Now, I say to you, you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Now, think about Peter for just a second. If you're, how many of you are men? Let me see a show of hands. If you're a guy, you're a dude, how cool would it be to, say, to have somebody just tell you, you know what, we've spent a lot of time together, and I just, when I think of you, I just think you're a rock. How cool would that be? You, you'd be like, that's right. I'm the rock. Are you smelling what I'm cooking? Come on, baby. He goes, you're the rock. And that's where the name Peter comes from. It's from the Greek word petros, like petrified. He's the rock. And Jesus said, this is now going to be the cornerstone upon whom I will build my church. So when you think to yourself or if somebody ever says to you, man, there's got to be more to church, you think of Peter. You go, you know what? You're dead right. There is more. When, when we think of church, there is more to it. And I love that Jesus chose Peter because Peter 
did not have it all figured out. Peter, Peter had not arrived by any stretch of the imagination, but Jesus saw in Peter a willing heart, and he saw a passion and a commitment and a work ethic. He knew that Peter was relentless. Whatever his faults were, he was relentless. He was tough as nails. He knew that Peter would choose grit over quit. He knew that Peter would follow him literally to death. Jesus knew in that moment that Peter would be crucified as a martyr for his faith in Jesus. And rather than be crucified as Jesus was, we know that historically Peter was crucified upside down because he wouldn't die the same way that Jesus died. He had too much respect and honor for Jesus. And it's, and it's in this exchange with Peter that Jesus gives us a roadmap for how to, how to be the church that's more, for, for how, to, how to quit playing at church, for how to move beyond just going to church, but to actually being the church. And that's, that's the call. That's the, the opportunity and the privilege. And, and candidly, that's the responsibility to, to think outside of ourselves, to, to move beyond like, you know, we've, we moved to town two years ago and we just, we couldn't find a church that met our needs. We've we visited 17 of them and, and we just haven't been able to find a church that meets our needs. That's because the church isn't supposed to meet your needs. How many of you are married? Let me see a show of hands. If you're a married person in the house, you know what is fascinating to me? If you talk to married people, at some point in their marriage, they were in love with their spouse. It happens. Now, hopefully it's been recently for you. And, I mean, but, but you know where people get in trouble in marriage? People get in trouble in marriage when they start looking to their spouse to meet their needs. What I've seen and observed, and by the way, experienced, because God gave me somebody I wasn't even smart enough to ask for. When I quit worrying about my needs getting met, my needs got met. It's a supernatural transaction that happens. When I worry about meeting Julie's needs, my needs get met, whatever they may be. And the same thing is true in the church. When we quit worrying about, feed me, feed me, feed me, and hey, how do we do this thing? Let's go get it. All of a sudden, all of our needs are met. All the needs that we thought we had, God says, let me take care of those and then these that you didn't even know about. That's how he does. And he does that in and through the church. Look at what Jesus said here. He said, first of all, you need to write this down. The church is personally expressed. The church is personally expressed. Who do you say Jesus is? Do you mean it? Do you, do you really and truly believe? Have you, first of all, personally stepped over the line of faith and said, Jesus, I need your forgiveness. I confess my sins. I claim your forgiveness, and I will follow you with everything that I've got. That's where it begins. So have you personally expressed that to him in the context of the church, his bride. Because Peter did. He said, you're the Messiah. You're the promised one. You're the son of the living God, and I will follow you to death. I'm not going to do it perfectly, but I will follow you 
with everything I've got. The church is personally expressed. The church, number two, is supernaturally revealed. None of us got to the church because we were special. None of us. We got here because God did something we couldn't do for ourselves. Tell your neighbor right now, especially if you're married to him, you're not that special. Okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. Some of you are taking this conversation a little longer than we have time for. Now, obviously, obviously, Jesus died for you by name. I don't, I don't, wanna, I don't want to, to, to miss this, that he knows you because he made you. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He cares more. He knows when a, when a sparrow falls from the sky, how much more important do you think you are to him? So in that context, yeah, you're special, but nobody goes to heaven because they figured it all out or because they're good enough. The whole good guy, good girl mentality, you, you can't get there. Jesus had to come here. And, and so the church is supernaturally revealed in us and to us and then through us. Where people see the way we live our lives, the way we treat those closest to us, the way we handle business, the way we lead or manage in the marketplace, the way we handle Challenges, the way we handle successes. And they say, I, I, want, I, want, to be a, I want a piece of that. How, how does that happen? And, and we get the opportunity to go, hey, let me, let me tell you something. This, this is the most unbelievable thing. I didn't do any of it. This is what God's done in my life. And, there, and I know a whole lot of other people that are, that are the same and some worse, some better than me on the scale you would use, but he did this through us. And we'd love to have you be a part of it. The church is supernaturally revealed. But Jesus goes on and he, and he says that the church is deliberately built. The church is deliberately constructed. He says, Simon, you're now Peter. You're the rock. And on this rock, you're the cornerstone that I'm going to build my Church, I'm going to grow this puppy. He's, we're, we're going to add to this thing one life at a time. And you and I get to be a part of that. You and I get to surprise people with the reality that there absolutely is more to this. More than they could ever ask or imagine. And it's so much more that it, it can't be contained in this lifetime. It can be experienced, and we get to taste it a little bit, but this is just a poor facsimile of what's waiting for us. We believe in the crucifixion. We believe in the resurrection. We believe he's coming back again. We believe. And Jesus wants as many people as possible to know it and to experience it, and to live it, so that they can in turn grow the community of Christ one life at a time. And so he deliberately builds his church. It's, it's intentional. 
You don't, you don't be the church by just showing up from time to time. You, you are the church when you're a part of a local church somewhere. It's church shopping, hopping, flopping, and bopping all over the place. That's the craziest thing I've ever seen in my life. For Christian, if you're not a Christian yet, you, don't, you can ignore this and think about brunch. But Christians, followers of Jesus that never commit to a local church. <laughs> that is stupid. They're smart people, but that's a dumb choice. They never connect. They never, they never feel the energy and the life. They don't know the joy of working and serving in the nursery and seeing a toddler walk in with a diaper, unsure of what to do, and the mom more unsure, and then grow up in that church and become a part of the high school and the middle school ministry that shows up early to church on Sunday mornings and leads in worship, and then those high school kids are now leading those kids that they used to be. And those high school kids have college friends that show them you can absolutely go to the University of Texas and not lose your mind. And if you choose to, you can hold out for God's best and marry somebody that will blow every dream you ever had out of the water and experience the life that is truly life, abundant and overflowing. And not only do we get to see him get baptized, but we get to see him get married and start making new little Christ followers. Where else are you going to get that? You don't get that in any other organization in the world. This is the church, and it is deliberately constructed and built, and you and I get to do this. But don't forget the last thing that Jesus said. The church, the church is eternally victorious. He said, I'm going to build this puppy, but the gates of hell will never prevail against it. You throw at us anything you want to, we're coming back. We're choosing grit over quit because we're going to be tough as nails. Not because we're special, but because we follow the one who rose from the dead. And because he did that, everything is worth it. I'm going to pray. I'm going to commit. I'm going to give. I'm going to serve. I'm going to enjoy because of what he did for me. And I own it, and I'm going to live it. And so I'm not just going to church on Sunday as long as I don't get a better offer. That's the center of my week. And I'm going to orient my calendar and my family's calendar around that because I know I need that. It's not an obligation anymore. That's an opportunity. And, and that's going to be our priority. We're not going to be there 52 weeks a year. The preacher isn't there 52 weeks a year. And he's committed. But that's the center of our family's world. Because we follow the one who died and rose again for us. And I want my kids to own that more than they own being able to dribble with either hand. I want their faith to be their faith. And when they leave my house, they know that Jesus loves them and they can walk with him no matter what. And they're strong enough to be the only ones who do it if they're in the room. And that matters. Now, I want everybody... Everybody in this room, I want you to take out the program that you got when you came in, please. Looks like this. You've probably been feverishly taking notes.
You'll notice on the very back of it, there's a little announcement about our membership class next week. April 24th, next Sunday, after this service, you have an opportunity to be a part of the only eternally victorious team that has ever existed. To commit. And here's the thing about it. You get to be a part of it. The only requirement is that you're not perfect. <laughs> Congratulations. If you have been thinking about it, or if you're not yet committed, we'd love to see you. We'd love to have you be a part of this amazing adventure called the church, the bride of Christ. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a brief moment. And as we pray together, I want to just invite you to think about Jesus' question to the twelve. Because that's where it begins personally. That's where it becomes personal. We've talked today a lot about the collective and the gathered. But it begins at an individual level. When you confront that question, who do you say that he is? Who do you say that he is? That's not, where do you go to church? Do you go to church? Are you a good guy or a good girl? That's, who do you say he is? If you're here today and you've never personally committed your life to Jesus, you've never personally owned that he is the Messiah, the Son of God. We want to invite you to do that right now, just right where you're sitting. You don't have to pray a, a preconceived list of prayers. You don't have to pass a test. You just have to mean it with everything that you've got. You just have to surrender To him, every part of your life, and follow him. Just pray, it's just something right where you're sitting, just something like this in your own words. Just say, Jesus, just talk to him. Just say, Jesus, I need you. I confess my sin, I claim your forgiveness, and I give you my life, all of it right here, right now. And I will follow you from this moment forward. Jesus, I pray this prayer in your name. If you would just remain with your heads bowed and your eyes closed for another moment. But for those of you who just prayed that prayer, 
I want to just make sure you understand a couple of things with our heads bowed and eyes closed. First of all, this is the greatest moment of your life. And it's a moment from which everything is made new and begins again. And so as a church, we want to help in that. We want to come alongside and and be a family of faith to you. And the best way to, to begin that process is just to take that program that you're already holding and fill out the the connect card part of that. Just give us your name and contact info and let us know, I'm committing my life to Christ today. There's a place there on that card. Fill that out just right now, right where you're sitting. Fill it out and when you've completed it, you can tear it off at the perforation. And before you leave today, just, just take a brief moment and make a personal connection, maybe with one of our ushers wearing the blue LHC shirts or at the little awning underneath the front porch out here under the big entrance you came in. But we want to be that family of faith. We want to come alongside you. And as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed for just another moment, if that was your prayer today and you meant it, would you just raise your hand? And I'll tell you why we ask you to raise your hand. Number one, it's to stamp this moment in your life. To make sure that you physically represent your commitment to Christ. To know that this is real, that God did it. It was supernaturally revealed to you like it was to Peter. But then also, your hand in the air stamps this moment in the life of this church. Because there's nothing more important to us than this moment. And so as you put your hands down, we put our hands together just to tell you, welcome home. Welcome, welcome home. 